When the Apostle Paul preached the gospel throughout the ancient world, he brought good news of a good father who has come to bring his children into his arms and to welcome them into his fatherly care. This is what Paul always preached. But there are a group of people who followed Paul wherever he went. Wherever Paul preached, there are a group of people who came behind him and said, listen, this Paul is not giving you the whole story. It's not about your father's affection for you. It's about you keeping the rules. It's about you keeping the law in a stellar way. In fact, these people who followed Paul would go so far as to say, in fact, it's more than just keeping the rules. It's that you have to convert to Judaism. And if you're not willing to convert to Judaism, you can kiss that family goodbye. Because our God is a judge. And he requires of you to keep the rules. And so the Apostle Paul writes letters, 13 of them in the New Testament, to churches like the church of Galatia to remind them that there is a doctrine that only gets better the older that you live, and it's called the doctrine of adoption, that your Father loves you. That if you're in Christ, you are His. And it's about the relationship that you share with Him. So if you would, let's stand together and I'll read for us from verse 23 of Galatians 3 down through verse 7 of chapter 4. Please give your attention to the reading of God's Word. Now before faith came, we were held captive under the law imprisoned until the coming faith would be revealed. And so then the law was our guardian until Christ came in order that we might be justified by faith. But now that faith has come, we are no longer under a guardian. For in Christ Jesus, you are all sons of God through faith. For as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free. There is no male and female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. And if you are Christ's, then you are Abraham's offspring, heirs according to promise. I mean that an heir, as long as he is a child, is no different from a slave, though he is the owner of everything. But he is under guardians and managers until the date set by his father. In the same way, we also, when we were children, were enslaved to the elementary principles of the world. But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law so that we might receive adoption as sons. And because you are sons, God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. So you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir through God. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. Nick Jones didn't have a dad. According to, the, according to the Dallas Morning News, Nick Jones 
grew up tough. Nick Jones lived with his mother for many years alone with his mother, and then later there were other siblings in the house. When Nick Jones was 11 years old, he became the head of his household. He got up, he went to school. After school, he rushed over to football practice. After football, he would run home to cook dinner for the family. And then Nick Jones would do his homework, and he would go to bed. Nick Jones didn't have a dad. Nick Jones loved sports, and he was good at them. He grew to be 6'2", 250 pounds. He grew to be the four-time NCAA Division II national champion in the discus at Abilene Christian University. Nick Jones didn't have a dad. And so Nick Jones at all the sporting events didn't do what the other kids would do who had dads. The other kids would look up in the stands as they played football and as they played baseball and as they ran track. And they would see their dads cheering them on and encouraging, encouraging them. And he would see dads sometimes get fired up at the coaches or come unglued at the refs. Nick Jones said in the article, I never looked up in the stands. I didn't have a dad. The marvels of modern technology, Nick Jones gets married in 19, it's a family. And 20 years after his birth, his wife is on Facebook. You see, when Nick was born, his mother was pregnant to an Air Force officer who went off to Panama before he got the news that his then-girlfriend, who they had planned to get married, was pregnant. And this was before the days when you were able to call internationally very easily. It was before the days, kids, imagine this. It was before the days of cell phones. Shocking. And Nick, Nick's dad went off to war and combat, and circumstances never permitted Nick's mother to ever get a hold of his father. She went off from Abilene to Amarillo. She was taken in by her mother to have this child because it would be a hard go when she had Nick. And Nick never met his dad until one day on Facebook, 20 years later, his wife finds Nick's dad on Facebook, and she messages him and introduces herself and says, I am married to your son. He never knew he had a son. In fact, your son is going to play football 90 minutes away from where he lived in Independence, Missouri. So Nick Jones loads up with the football team and they go and play their football game 90 minutes away. And before the football game, Nick Jones's father comes and he reaches out his hand to his son. And Nick, Nick's father pulls his hand away and he says, bring it in here. And he brings him in tight. And Nick's father says, I got my son helmet to helmet. 
And I watched my son, and he walked like me, and he talked like me, and he laughed like me. And Nick Jones says that they played that game in Missouri, and they got crushed. They got creamed. And Nick Jones said it was the best game of my life. Because I looked up in the stands, and I saw my dad. All of us love stories of family reconciliation because every single one of you and I know the pain of family alienation. And the gospel is the good news of a story of family reconciliation. That in Genesis chapter 3, Paul does an amazing thing where he turns the argument of his book of Galatians from this truth what he has banged week after week after week as we've learned about justification by faith alone. That there has been a change in our legal status before our Heavenly Father. And he now says, but not only has there been a change of legal status, but you know what? There's something more. You've been adopted by your Father. And of all the counseling I've done in the five years that I've been in Owasso, the truth that has come up more and more that we as a congregation need to grasp is not our justification by faith. It is the truth that we are adopted by the Father. Because we don't tend to believe that. And so for the next several weeks, we're going to spend until the summer talking about the doctrine of adoption. This week, we're going to talk about the doctrine itself. Next week, we're going to talk about how adoption helps us in the midst of our shame. The week after that, about how adoption helps us in the midst of our fear. And then how adoption helps us in the midst of our mistrust, our deep mistrust of God. So this morning, I want us to focus our affections and our thoughts on this part of Galatians, where Paul turns our thoughts from justification to adoption. And I want us to think about three aspects of adoption. First, what is the doctrine of of adoption? Second, when does it happen? And lastly, what are the privileges of being adopted by God. So first, what is the doctrine of adoption? If you have your sermon outline, would you please look at it with me? Adoption is an act of God whereby he makes us members of his family. Adoption is the act of God whereby he makes us members of his family. According to UNICEF, there are 140 million orphans in the world today. According to the World Bank, that is more than double the number of children who suffer from acute malnutrition. There are organizations even in this town of which some of you are intimately familiar with who have given themselves to care for the needs of the orphans across seas, to help educate them, to help comfort them, to care for them, even in our own city, because of the incredible need there is around the world to care for the orphan. And in Galatians, Paul has a deep care for the orphan because he finds people who have been duped into believing that they are actually orphans of God, that they have somehow had their legal status changed, that they are right with God, but they still see themselves as those without a father. And Paul comes to them and says, it is not by your righteousness, 
It is not by keeping the rules. It is not by obeying the law by which you enter into a relationship with God. It is not by your moral record that causes God to shower you with His love. It is solely the basis of God's grace through justification by faith. Adoption is the Christian doctrine that only gets better. This week at our session meeting on Wednesday night, the, the elders and I were talking about adoption and what it has meant for us personally. We're drawing things up on the whiteboard. And one of the elders said, you know, it dawns on me, like tonight, it dawned on me that like your adoption is kind of the so what of the gospel. That's right. Adoption is the so what of the gospel. It is the doctrine that only gets better with time. Adoption is the act of God whereby he makes you members of his family. And Paul says we need to know that because adoption is needed. In Genesis chapter 3, you know, when the fall occurred and Adam decided he didn't want to be adopted by God, he wanted to be an orphan on his own, and he wanted to be the child of another counselor, and he went off and decided to disobey, and he hid himself. He ran from God, and God came to him and clothed him by grace and said, oh, please, come back. And ever since Galatians chapter 3, we have been running from God. We have been more comfortable by the fact that we are orphans. We can take care of ourselves. We don't need your grace, God. And the whole of the New Testament is to tell you Christians, to tell me that we are adopted by our Father who cares for us. Look what Paul says in Galatians chapter 4. But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his Son, born under a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law so that we might receive adoption as sons. I wonder if you hear me this morning. You are not orphans if you're in Christ. You are sons. And don't let sons throw you off. Some of you hear that and you think, that sounds so patronizing to call us all sons. No, Paul clearly meant sons and daughters. In the ancient Near East, remember women were held objectively or sub subjectively rather inferior to men, then they had a different place in society and the gospel even helped shape the social mores of the time. For it was women who first found Jesus at the tomb. It was women who carried the letter of Romans to the church of Rome. It was women who Christ actually spent time with and reminded them that, oh, please don't hear the re reverb of society telling you that you're a second-class citizen. There is no male or female. He's not talking about gender preference. He's talking about before God the Father, there's equality because the gospel levels the playing field. And today, is it really that much different, honestly? Those of you who have objections to the Bible using the male pronoun so often, Listen, we don't objectively, or we don't subjectively, rather, put down women. We've made incredible strides in society to raise the subjective level of women in the workplace. And 
in culture in general. Our problem today is not the subjective discrimination, it's the objective discrimination of women. Because we objectify them and we say to them that if you're not thin and you don't have clear skin, then I'm sorry, but... We have the same problem in this today that we had in the ancient Near East. And the way that that problem, friends, becomes fixed is that, men, you begin to view your mothers and your wives and your sisters and your daughters and your friends as those made in the image of God, and you praise them for who they are, not just the way they look. And women, you view yourself in light of your Father's affection for you, your Heavenly Father's affection for you, who sings over you with His love who cares for you, who brings you into his home and calls you his own. John says in John 1.12, but to all who receive him, to who believe in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. When you read sons in Galatians chapter 4, you hear sons and daughters. Adoption is an act whereby God makes us members of his family because it is needed. When does adoption happen? Adoption happens after our conversion. Justification and adoption are separate. Justification is the legal declaration, please, I hope you're hearing me, is the legal declaration that you are right and holy and innocent your guilt is taken away. You are free from sin in the eyes of the Father in heaven because of the work of Christ. You have a legal declaration that is yours before the Father, no longer condemned, clothed in the righteousness of Jesus. But adoption is the idea that not only do you have a legal standing, but you've been brought into a family. And your Father loves you as a son. Do you hear the difference? It's as though you were in a courtroom and the judge were to raise the gavel when he's trying to decide in your sentence and he bangs it down and he says, innocent. Would that be good news? That would be amazing. And then the court is adjourned and the judge goes back to the chambers and he whistles at you and says, hey, come back here with me. And you go back to the chambers with the judge and the judge takes off his robe and he picks up picks up his phone and he says, what do you want for dinner? We're going to call takeout. And he orders dinner. And he goes and he grabs his keys and he says, come on, jump in. You're coming to live with me. It's one thing to hear the declaration of pardon to you, that that's good news. It is another thing, isn't it, to become the son of the judge, to live with him. Adoption happens after our conversion. I have a friend whose name is Jason Wallace, who was one of my closest friends in college. We called him Wally. He sang at my wedding. And when he married another musician named Allie, they wanted to have children. And they had twins of their own, and they felt called to adopt. And so they adopted a little boy named Johnny from the Congo. And Allie went over to pick up Johnny after, and if you've been through this process, you know how grueling these international adoptions are. Weeks of paperwork, months of their life. It sometimes takes one year, two years, two and a half years to adopt these children. 
And Allie goes over to the Congo to pick up Johnny and she gets there and she has the legal papers in her hands that says, I am Johnny's legal mother. But when she gets to the orphanage, the Congolese government had changed the rules on how you bring children out of the country. And they said, though we see you're the legal mother, you cannot take this child out of the country. And you want to see an angry mama bear come out. You tell her she cannot take her adopted child out of a country. So Jason and Allie decide that Allie was going to stay there. And so she stays there. And she didn't leave to come back to the U.S. She stays there for a week, two weeks, three weeks, a month. And she goes every day to that orphanage. And she says, I want my son. Fill out the paperwork. They do it again. They change the rules on him again. They fill out the paperwork. And finally, she brings back to DFW, their son, Johnny, in her arms. And in my own life, this is the aspect of the gospel that I think I miss the most as a minister. Because I know that I'm justified by faith in Jesus. I know it intellectually. And Paul in Galatians 3 and the first of Galatians 4 says, Blake, do you really? Do you really know it? Because Paul says, because he knew it, that Christian, you cannot get the doctrine of justification into your head until you experience adoption in your heart. In fact, it's not until you experience adoption in your heart that you really can know that you're justified before your father. Adoption is the doctrine that only gets better. See what kind of love the Father has given to us, that we should be called children of God, and so we are. We tend to hear our sentence pronounced innocent, and then we tend to go to the judge and say, now I want to earn your love. I've done so much. I can't possibly overcome this hurdle. And the judge says, no, you've been declared innocent. And you're my child. I don't want your love. I don't want to be your child. I want to earn it. When our search committee was looking for an assistant pastor, one of the sermons that Scott Mitchell sent to us was a sermon where he gives an illustration about what would be the worst day in his life as a father. He tells a story. It wouldn't be the day where his kids got into scrapes or committed a moral indiscretion. It wouldn't be the day when they got in trouble and it was an embarrassment to the family. The worst day as a father would be the day that his children came to him and said to him, Father, we don't believe that you love us and we want to earn it. And many of us, and myself included, know that we're Christians in our heads. But when our father tells us, I love you, we look at him and say, I don't trust you. I don't want your love to be given to me. I want to earn it. Do you hear me this morning? And the doctrine of adoption is the doctrine that we are received as members of his family, given everything that Jesus was given because of the work of the son for us. 
It is beautiful because you cannot know the doctrine of justification in your head until you experience the doctrine of adoption in your heart. Are you with me? The Lord Almighty says, I will be a father to you, and I shall, and you shall be sons and daughters to me. 2 Corinthians 6:18. Romans 9, 25 and 26. Those who are not my people, I will call my people. And her who was not beloved, I will call beloved, quoting Hosea. And in the very place where it was said of him, You are not my people, there they will be called sons of the living God. Or Peter, in 1 Peter chapter 2, says, But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. But not only that, once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Or Isaiah 43, I will say to the north, Give them up, and from the south, do not hold them back. I will bring my sons from afar and my daughters from the ends of the earth, Isaiah says. Everyone whom I have made, whom I'm ha who I have formed for my glory. You have a father who is passionate about you, and who pursues you, and who loves you, and who is gathering you in. Do you know him? Isaiah 48, 19, your offspring would have been like the sand and your descendants like the grains. Their name have, would have uh, been cut off forever, but the Lord says, I will never cut them off or let them be destroyed from before me. One scholar says, certainly it is true that God, our creator, is our judge and our Lord and our master and our teacher and our provider and protector and the one who providentially cares and sustains our existence. But the role that is most intimate and the role that conveys the highest privileges of fellowship with God for an eternity is his role as our heavenly father. Oh, Christian, adoption is the doctrine that only gets better. Because you see that your father has given you everything. You are heirs together with Christ. And as you grow up in this house of the Father, you begin to see how amazing and generous He is the older that you get and the longer that you walk with Him. You begin to talk like Him and look like Him and laugh like Him. He gets you helmet to helmet. He doesn't want to shake your hand. He wants to give you a hug. And He wants to tell you that I know what you're going through. I'm your dad. To know the doctrine of justification in your head, you must know adoption in your heart. Do you? Do you know that you are loved by your heavenly Father? Another scholar, J.I. Packer, writes, if you want to judge how well a person understands Christianity, find out how much he makes of the thought of being God's child and having God as his Father. It is not the thought that, is this not the thought that prompts and controls his worship and prayers and the whole outlook on life? It means if he does not understand this, that he does not understand Christianity very well at all. Adoption is the good news that we are brought into God's family. 
We are made members of his family. It happens after our conversion. Not only has there been a legal status declared over us, but we have been brought into his family. It's about a relationship. God gets you helmet to helmet. He brings you in. It's not about a legal standing. It's about your father who cares for you as his child. And what are the privileges of adoption, we might ask? Well, the first privilege of adoption is that adoption shows us that God loves us. 1 John 3, 1, see what kind of love the Father has given to us, that we should be called the children of God, and so we are. John Wesley was a very spiritual, very upright, upstanding citizen. He cared for orphans. He didn't practice one Sabbath. Did you know he actually practiced two, Saturday and Sunday? He gave his life to care for others. John Wesley was as good as good can get from the outside looking in, but John Wesley says in his diaries, there's only one problem. I wasn't a Christian. He said, for years I was a slave. And Christianity is not the faith of slaves, it is the faith of sons. And Wesley says it wasn't until he understood himself no longer as a slave, but as a son, that the penny dropped, the other shoe fell, and he became a Christian. Tell me, do you know the love your father has for you? You cannot know justification by faith in your head until you experience adoption in the heart. Do you know that your father pursues you and loves you and longs for you in ways that you can't even imagine, that he's not angry with you, that he loves you like a good earthly father loves his child. And so therefore, the other privilege of adoption is that he disciplines you. Like, like having a good father means that he corrects you. He wants you to look like him and talk like him. He wants you to look more and more like him. He will not let you go. And sometimes, friends, his discipline is persistent, and it is a pain. It's because he loves you. He is not going to let you go. There's utter security. It's another privilege of adoption. Jesus said, all who the Father have given me are mine, and not one of them will I let be snatched out of my hand. And right after that, in John 10, 29, he says, my Father who has given them to me is greater than them all, and no one is able to snatch them out of my Father's hand. When I was in college, I was driving home from a retreat. It was late one night. My college roommate was in the passenger seat next to me, and we had a friend in the back seat before the days of seatbelts. He was sprawled out on the back seat, asleep. It was late. We were driving home, back to College Station. And I, too, fell asleep. My car went off the road into a bar ditch. We hit the bar ditch, came back onto the road, and my car flipped on the highway. And when my friends pulled up, and they saw the wreck, and they saw me and Chris and Paul, who by God's grace were all safe and okay on the side of the road, they said, oh man, your car's totaled. You're dead. When he finds out, he's going to kill you. And I said to him, my dad already knows. 
He's the first one I called. And he didn't even ask about my car. He just wanted to know if I was okay. Friends, your father doesn't ask about your car. He just wants to know you're okay. He knows the sin that you struggle with, and he is so proud of you for struggling with your sin. And he wants you to keep struggling over your sin. But do not think that your father is angry with you in the midst of your struggle. No, he's cheering you on. He just wants to know, listen, I'm glad you're okay. I'm glad you're healthy. We'll take care of the car together. One of the privileges of adoption is utter security. It's knowing that he loves you. It's knowing that he understands you. It's that he disciplines you, that he gives you good gifts. He gives you his Holy Spirit. It's knowing that he forgives you and you can be reconciled with him. When we use our confession of sin, we're not confessing our sins to be justified again by faith. We are confessing our sins before our Father because we are being reconciled together with him in our struggle with sin so that he can embrace you as a son and say, oh, I'm so glad that you see your heart as it is. And we can be in fellowship together in ways that a father and a son, a father and daughter are always meant to be in fellowship. It's a good thing. In Galatians 4, 6, it says that we call him Abba, Father. Why would Paul use an Aramaic term to a group of Greek-speaking people? They didn't know Aramaic. He has to translate it. Father. Why would Paul use that? Because who spoke Aramaic? Jesus. And Paul is saying to them that the same word that Jesus uses for his father, you can use. My kids call me dad. You can't call me dad. But they can. And because of our union with Christ, we can come to our Father in heaven and we can cry out to him just like Jesus did and say, Dad, Abba. Do you know your Father in that kind of way, Christian? Those of you who are here who are not yet Christians, do you know that you have a Father who is pursuing you and running after you? That's why you're here. He's opening your heart by the good news of the gospel to help you die to your self-saving strategies and see that it's only the love of your Father in heaven by which you have any hope, but which you can be brought into a new family, adopted as his own child. Listen, I do not mean by this sermon that you merely say as you leave, I now know the doctrine of election. I want you to know that you have a father who wants you to cry out to him as every good father does. You cannot know justification in your head unless you first experience adoption in your heart. And it is a Christian doctrine that only gets better. Do you know it? We are going to spend time over the next several weeks talking about different aspects of the Christian life and how the doctrine of adoption helps us understand the Father's love better 
and better for us. Don't act like a slave. Act like a son. Look like him. Act like him. Eat like him. Walk like him. Because you are a son and a daughter of your Father in heaven. Let's pray together. Father, I pray that you'll help me to know that you love me. And I pray you'll help each of us to grow in our trust of you. That when you say you love us, you really mean it. And that we can stop acting like slaves, trying to earn your love through our moral self-effort. And we can know that you already have adopted us if we're in Christ. You called us as your own children. And so therefore, let us be wooed by grace. Let us be drawn into our Father's care and affection as a son and a daughter by the work of Jesus. And let that so change our motivation for how we obey you, that we obey you not as slaves, but as children of God. And let us change the world and love others and sacrifice and give because we are sons and daughters. Father, that is the good news of the gospel that only gets better. Help us to believe that. In Jesus' name, amen.